You can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and what I want to go through this morning, I'm going to just tell you the name of the teaching first because it's, it's important to set up the, the thought behind what we're doing this morning. Yes, it's the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. It's the, the last piece of this message that Paul has uh, been going through and teaching. And one of the things that continues to get across and continues to get across is the, the theme for this series, and you'll, you'll see it on the front of your bulletin, you'll see it on the, uh, the screens up, up there, is there's this message of, of not necessarily prescriptive, but it's almost a joke of how to play church. So much of what Paul is going through when he's talking to the Corinthians is this self-prescribed worship is what, what's happening. They're deciding how God wants to be worshipped and the different activities that are going on and the different things. Next week, we're going to go through the, the whole book, not reading it all, but we're going to go through the whole book and, and kind of unpack a couple of themes as we do a full wrap-up of the book of 1 Corinthians. But the message for this morning, for 1 Corinthians chapter 16, is what is your motivator? What is the thing that motivates you? What is the thing that we have that drives us to do things, that causes us to be focused on why we go one direction or another in our life? There's, there's all kinds of things that, that push us. And, and as Paul's wrapping up this section of 1 Corinthians 16, it's often a section that we end and don't even really read as we study New Testament books. It's kind of like, well, I don't care about all the little gushy stuff, the personal things that are there, it doesn't matter. But there's a few things in here that Paul uses, the bookends, to keep us on track with what the whole book was about. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and then we're going to dig into it some. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul continues on, and he's, he's finished this section we went through last, last week. Verse 1 says this, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Verse 3, Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and will send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Now, a lot of times we'll read that and go, it just sounds like administrative work going on for some kind of problem that was happening there. And what's interesting about this is chapter 16, verse 1, ties back to things that began the church in Acts. The church itself actually made an attempt at communism. It made an attempt at a kind of social-focused practices. And it sounds a little funny, and, and please don't start throwing rocks and, and yelling things when I say this, but the core desire of communism and socialism comes from a desire that we have for heaven. But the problem that it never works is because we are selfish, horrible people, and we always try and find a way to make it benefit us. Always. So when we're looking for things where we're trying to create equality among people, Christ created that in the spiritual realm. And then he says to each of us, submit one to another. We don't need to create a world government system to do what God said is not of this world. 
God said that his kingdom is not of this world. He said to Pontius Pilate, he said, oh, so you are a king, is what Pontius Pilate said. And he said, well, it's not of this world. It's not of this physical realm. But man's desire, man's drive, man's passion is to create his kingdom. And man will do it through strong governments. Man will do it through strong religions. Man will do it through overbearing religions. Man will do it through things that we would even think are good. But it's still man trying to do what God has either already accomplished or promised won't happen here on this earth. And so the, the Jewish church kind of started to experience a tremendous amount of poverty. They found out that trying to make all this commonality happen was too little, or sorry, too, yeah, too little too soon. Because they're thinking, Jesus said he's going to be right back, so let's just take all of our money, we'll hang out for four or five days, and then he'll be back. Well, guess what happened? They ran out of money, and they were literally starving. There was a tremendous amount of poverty. And so Paul, as the gospel advanced throughout Asia, throughout Europe, said, listen, we, the, the beginning, the beginning place where Christianity started, let's, let's help these guys. Let's help them. And so that's what Paul's talking about. And Paul, in advancing the gospel, also advanced a care for others, a vertical love with Christ and a horizontal love with brothers and sisters in Christ. We'll go into a little bit more of what was happening here. Uh, this does not fit in the category of traditional giving in a church. This does not fit in traditional category of, of what we would typically call tithing. Um, if you want to understand the theology or the thoughts of Rise Chapel and tithing, you can look that up on our website. We've got some teachings on that uh, from last year, actually. Chapter 16, verse 5 says this, After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you. For I will go through Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. Verse 7, For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend time with you if the Lord permits. Now, a lot of times people will read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and, and there's a struggle with how hard Paul is on them. Now, how many of you have ever had a conversation with someone that you love tremendously, and it only could happen by being very, very difficult and hard with them? Not unnecessarily mean, but unemotionally straightforward. It's not easy. And sometimes near the end of, of the conversation, you stop and you go, listen, I know this is hard to hear, but the only reason I'm motivated is because I love you. That was Paul's motivation. Throughout this whole letter, he said the things he said because he cared. In fact, if he didn't care, why waste the time in such a detailed letter? Such powerful theology on people you don't care about. Paul reminds them of his care and his love for the people here, saying, I don't want to just pass through and go, hey, hope you enjoy the, the, the spiritual beat-up. You know, I'm just going to keep walking here. Hope you guys are holy. See you later. He wanted to be with them. He genuinely wanted a, a physical relationship, to, to be next to them, to spend time with them. Verse 10, he then talks about when Timothy comes to see, when Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. You can put next to Timothy's name there, outsider. And we'll talk about that. Verse 12. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. 
If you remember early on in the First Corinthians study, we talked about the battle between, well, I follow Apollos, or I follow Paul, or I follow Peter. And Paul says, it's, it's not about us. It's following Christ. It's sure, you can have a, a preference, but, but that doesn't mean that your preference is right because it's different than somebody else's. So he says here about Apollos, Apollos, actually the, the assumption right now that a lot of scholars have said is Apollos actually wasn't willing to go back to Corinth because there was so much division when he showed up. Oh, I like Apollos. He's nicer. He's taller. He's better looking than Paul, or, or he's different than Peter and all these different things. And so Apollos is like, you know what? Forget it. If you guys are going to make it about me, I'm out of here. I want you to focus on Jesus. That's where a lot of people believe why Apollos had the hesitation and why it was so important for Paul to share with him, no, go. No, you've got to go. You've got to go there. Be there. Love them. Preach to them. Encourage them. In verse 13, there's a continuation of a similar theme that Paul has used over the past few chapters. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. If I had to preach on 1 Corinthians and try and say, what is the theme of this entire book? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14 is the book. That's it. Now, there's a tremendous amount of detail in there because each one of these phrases means so much on their own culturally. The word love there is the word agape, unconditional care. It was adopted by Christians, although it was fairly unused before that by the Greeks. Be in your guard has a military, is a military term. Stand firm in the faith is also a military term. Be courageous is also a military term. And then be strong is actually a term of continuous growth. Keep getting stronger. Spiritually work out to get bigger spiritual muscles is what he's saying. Now we're going to go into that a little bit in just a minute. But what you can look at is you can circle that there and just put, you know, 1 Corinthians theme. Verse 15. You know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia. And they have devoted themselves to the service of of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they've supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Verse 19, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Then you see this personal part here. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all. In Christ Jesus, amen. I don't know about you, but there's certain endings to certain New Testament books that they just have this powerful ending to them. And some of 1 Corinthians 16 has some power to it as far as an ending, this this final greeting, but it also feels like there's continuous relationship going, and there is. The one book that that I, I don't know if you guys are the same way as me, when I read the Gospel of John and I get to the end of the Gospel of John and I read the ending that that apostle wrote, it gets me every single time. There's this close out, but it, but it has so much passion and so much future for it. Let me just read it to you because it's just on my mind. 
John, at the very end, as he finishes this letter and he's talking about Jesus, you can tell that there was a passion for Jesus. And here's what he says at the very end. It says, verse 25 of chapter 21, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the world would not have room for the books that would be written. Man, he knew how to end a book. Paul just keeps hammering away, just sledgehammering, just truth and truth and truth and truth. And then all these great things, and, and may God be glorified, amen. You're kind of hanging out going, where's chapter 17? Paul did continue writing in that book. But here's what I noticed in this, this chapter here. It was a discussion on motivation. It was a discussion that talked about the different things that begin to cause us to do something or why we wouldn't do something. And let me talk about motivation for a second, though, because a lot of times when people think about motivation, they think, well, if I don't feel like doing something, I'm not motivated. It's actually not true. All of us have motivation. All of us do. Some of us would look at somebody else who's, who's hyper and rambunctious and constantly busy and, and just, man, I don't, I don't have that kind of motivation. No, we just don't have the same motivation, or sorry, motivators. That's why the teaching title for today is not what's your motivation, but what's your motivator? The things that motivate us, we have to, we have to dig into and figure out what they are. I was talking with uh, someone this morning and then someone last week, and if you guys know me well enough, you know that my life is usually pretty busy uh, with six kids and uh, two different jobs and, and just a lot of different things happening in the community. And one of the things that this person sat in my office and, and chatted with me about, they were kind of sharing with me how overwhelmed and busy they were with the one kid that they have and the one job and the free time and all these things. And I just stared. And when they got done talking, I continued to stare in their eyes. And they said... Are you okay? I said, I'm fine. I'm, you just said you were going to give me a valid excuse for why you're not involved with things. And he just sat quiet. He goes, well, well I told you. I said, That's, those aren't valid. They're not valid. We have so many things. He goes, well, I'm just not motivated. I said, oh, you're very motivated for you and what you want, how you want it. Well, I, I don't know if I agree with that. Because you want me to be motivated by you. We're motivated. Just sometimes a little shine to Joe doesn't get everything we want. And so we come to the pastor or the church or the Christian brother or sister and go, I just don't feel motivated. Get rid of the trash that you're motivated by, that I'm motivated by, and go, God, I just want to be motivated by what motivates you. I want you to be what drives me. I want your passions to be my passions. There's never a problem with motivation, and I don't believe that, that anybody ever has a motivation issue. It's all a matter of that motivator. What is making us do what we did today? Now, some of us do it louder, if you're an extrovert like me. We are motivated louder than others, more rambunctious than others, sometimes to, to certain personalities, more irritating than others. We still each have a motivator. We have things that cause us to do what we want to do. Verse 2 began, in chapter 16, verse 2 began in, in one specific section of motivation. And it's interesting to me, in verse 2, here's what it says. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping in your income 
saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. The reason I said it's not tithing and, and so on is because it fits in the category of giving because there's a need. That's all it is. Just giving because there's a need. Taking that, having that motivation that changes what I'm going to do with what God has given me. Now, in this case, he was specifically talking about money, but I want to actually broaden it because most of the time, the hardest thing to get out of our hands is our money. That's the hardest thing. But I would actually challenge that it's even harder sometimes to get time out of people's hands. I've had people come to the church before and say, listen, I know you've got a lot of things that need to happen here and everything, but uh, I, just to be honest, I just don't, really don't want to do it, but I'm going to tithe good, Pastor. See, the problem that I have with that is I, I'd rather just take the check and mail it back. I'd rather do a refund if it's, if it's digital or whatever because the heart behind it is what matters. I would rather have someone that truly has a heart behind everything they're giving that's motivated by the Great Commission. We have, right now, this coming week, we have an outreach that we're doing. We've got four or five people signed up for it. We've got way more houses around this church that we will be witnessing to and sharing the love of God with than that. And I would much rather have the motivation. No check is going to make those people hear about Jesus. So our time is what God asks to be motivated by. Use your time for me. What about gifts or talents? Things that God has given to you. That when he comes back and says, listen, listen, son, daughter, here's these things that I put in you, and they glorify, they give the image of me in front of man. There are ways that you can make me look good. How did you make me look good? Hold on a second. Let me dig it out. Here it is. It's got a little mold on it because I haven't used it for 87 years, but, but it's here the same as you gave it to me. Over time, we know things devalue. It doesn't have the same value unless it was used, unless it was something that, that grew alongside us in our life. So the motivator that Paul is getting at when he starts looking at this and he says, in keeping with your income, certain things and translations will say things like, in keeping with how you've been blessed and what you've been given by God. I want us to be challenged by this. And I want to also be clear, uh, this is not a plea or a ploy. We're not going to pass out a basket or anything like that after this because I want the heart to be motivated by this point here. We must be more motivated to raise our standard of giving, time, talents, possessions, all of that, than our standard of living. Oh boy, is it so easy. So easy. I need to do this to take care of this. And I need to do this to take care of this. I need to do this. And... But what about the standard of giving? We have a Savior. As a Christian, we hold the name Christ, the one who not only gave all physically, but spiritually. We can't fathom what he gave up to come and do what he did. We can't. We can never even get close to it. The eternal God gave up eternality his godness. Some of us won't even give up our dignity and go shopping at Walmart. We only go to cars because, you know, I'm better than Walmart or whatever it is. We, we won't go to these different places because, well, it's dirtier there, it smells funny there, or, or, or whatever. And, and we think we understand what Jesus did? You want to talk about smelly and stinky? Showing up in the cesspool of sin to live alongside of us because he loves us. That's a standard of giving that I can't even match, but boy, would I like to die trying. 
And man, is it so much less stressful than the standard of giving. Because when we give to him, there's so much more that he can do with it than I ever could. What I can do with $10, well, I mean, with $10, I can't even get a meal anywhere through fast food here in Alaska. But what could God do with $10? I don't know. What about my talent for, for being able to, to do a certain thing or play an instrument or be able to speak or whatever it is? What I can do with it is very different than what God would do with it. And the beauty of it all, here's the beauty of giving with God. I'm talking time, I'm talking our talents and gifts, I'm talking possessions, I'm talking all the giving picture is that he often includes us in it. We get to be part of it anyways. But he gets the glory if we focus on his goals, his motivations, his things. It's tempting a lot of times for our motivations to change. It's tempting a lot of times in verses 8 and 9, Paul is motivated in giving of his gifts and talents, but he gets to a point where I think many of us, and I would include myself, would wonder, do I keep going? He says this, verse 8, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work is open to me. This is awesome. I love this. And there are many who oppose me. Paul's motivated to stay on, and his indicator for motivation and an open door is the fact that people don't want him around. That's not the first thing that I go to when I try and figure out, Lord, do you want me here? And everybody goes, get out. And you're like, hey, God, I got the message. I'm not going. But we have to realize as Christians that the first thing Jesus said to the, the larger Christian groups of how they could be understood, how they'd be treated when he's gone, Jesus was killed. They didn't want him around. And we're going to be treated the same way. If you're not paying attention to the news, I challenge you to go do some digging around. There's a tremendous amount of a loud minority. I believe the internet and social media gave a voice, a loud voice to the loud minority, the angry, bitter minority. And it's influential. It's influential. And the, the struggle that we're seeing in the media today is a tremendous amount of hatred and anger unwarranted towards Christianity. You could name, in fact, someone did this. They named different religions that they had a part in their life, and the only one that they got yelled at and cussed out over was the fact that they said Christianity. Every other one was like, hey, good for you, man. That's, that's great. You know, everybody needs to find their own path. Christian, oh, yeah, whatever, bigot. All over them. Now, some of that we deserve, unfortunately. I think the Christian church has been kind of embarrassing at times that we focus more on, on our sanctified preferences and things like that, and we miss the focus of Christ and his work and the, and the freedom from sin through his work, not through ours. But it doesn't change the fact that there is a tremendous distaste about Christ and there's opposition. Paul sees this opposition. He's motivated by it. But here's two things I want to challenge us with this morning for us personally about playing church. We have to realize this. Never, ever, 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 ever allow yourself to be demotivated by opposition. There will always be opposition. Let me say it differently. Life would stop being so hard if we would stop expecting it to be easy. Life would stop being so hard if we would stop expecting it to be easy. Don't let opposition stop where you're going. If God has said go, if God has said do this, go this direction, then go. 
Let him be the one who motivates and continues to move and let his truth speak. Now, the opposition may be something where God is redirecting, maybe something that God is saying, slow down. But it should never be a demotivator where we're like, you know what, I just quit. It just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. It's just, I'm done. Some of us are so fatalistic, or, or is a great word I use in counseling with people who struggle with anxiety called um, catastrophizing, where we can take the simplest scenario and talk about how it's literally apocalyptic in its effects in our life, and, and it's devastating to our minds. But we'll do that. It, it's like looking outside, and it's sunny, and the first thing you go is, it's probably going to rain later, though. And then it'll flood in my house it doesn't have a good foundation. It's, it's over. So forget it. I'm just going back to bed. It's not sunny out, unfortunately. But either way, the picture works because we get caught up in that. We, we find ways to let any kind of opposition demotivate us, to slow us down. Now, there are things in our life that if there was opposition, we wouldn't slow down. We wouldn't let it slow us down ever. You know what that is? How many of us have tried to chew a jawbreaker? Any of us? Come on, I know you all are rebellious. Yeah, absolutely. There was opposition. But because there was opposition, that's why I did it. Speed limit 45. Yeah. And then there's ice, which is kind of cute. There's things in our life that depending upon our motivator... The opposition doesn't matter. But yet when it comes to God, the slightest little speed bump, and we're like, oh, God, it's so horrible. There's persecution everywhere. If you say that in America, the first thing I think is you're a wimp because we don't know persecution. We don't know it. We might struggle a few times. We might get made fun of about something. That's not persecution. That's just called being a weirdo sometimes. And people just don't like it. Persecution is what, when you read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, when you read the book of Acts, you see persecution. When you read the news of the Philippines and Indonesia, Pakistan, people standing there praising and worshiping God, and their mouths are open as their heads are cut off for Christ. That's persecution. That's opposition, and they kept going. Nothing's going to stop God. I don't want to be caught quitting on him when he says, let's go, son. All right, let's go. God, the door is stuck. And maybe I'm not supposed to go. Come on, Joe. Let's go. Yeah. Sometimes that's exactly what God's calling us to do. Here's something else I want us to realize. Sometimes with opposition, it's actually an indicator to keep going, not quit. Let me share with you, back in 2012, 2013 time frame, it was probably early 2013, God had put on my heart a new burning passion for ministry, one that hadn't been there before, and I didn't understand it. I didn't understand what he wanted me to do with it. I didn't understand what was supposed to happen with it, so I went talked with a mentor of mine, and I said, listen, here's what's, what's driving aside of me. I, I feel like God is, is pushing me to something to, to do, do a church plant. I don't know where. I don't know when. I don't know any of the details of all that stuff. I just feel like that something has to happen to start that work. So I went ahead and 
talked with him and shared those details. And he looks at me, he goes, Joe, it's really weird you're talking to me, but it's likely God. He goes, I was just getting ready to call you this week. I want to start doing a one-year mentoring program for church planting. And you're the first person I was going to talk to. Now, immediately I knew that was it. I'm like, yeah, this is this, what I'm supposed to do. I mean, it was overwhelming. It was like my heart just went and burst out of my chest onto his desk and left a mess and just, this is what I'm supposed to do. And then I get home that night and I'm talking to my wife and I'm freaking out on the phone. I didn't even get out of the, the parking lot and I'm talking to her. I'm like, I know, this is it. Here are all this different stuff. And she's like, oh, that's so cool. That's it. We've been praying about this. I don't know what God's going to do, but, but, but this is, this is going to be cool. Then we get home that night. We have a great dinner. My wife and I go to sleep. Around 1 to 2 o'clock in the morning, literally all hell breaks loose in our home. My wife and I are having these horrific dreams, and we wake up, and she says, do you feel that? I go, oh, yeah, I feel that. There was something coming at us in our room. Then all my kids are screaming. Three of them are having dreams of this dragon going around them and wrapping around their beds and these crazy stuff going on. Now, now for hours, my wife and I are praying, going, man, what in the world? And I look at her halfway through the prayer time, and we just had barely a little bit of moonlight because we had our window um, cracked. And I said to her, I said, you know what? It just hit me. We made the right decision. Someone's mad. Now, at that point, if, if you're someone who ha- kind of has that fight personality versus a flight personality, at that point, you know, my hair is raised, and I'm like, all right, bring it. You know, you can, you can hear, like, you know, some sort of really great late 80s metal riff happen in your head. You're like, we're going to go after the enemy on this one, man. We're, we're taking him out. The opposition in that case was not quit, 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 and true. The opposition was saying quit, 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 and it was a lie. It was an absolute lie. Now, over the course of a couple of years, God clarified exactly what was going to be happen, happening, and you're sitting in the chairs of the place that God had called to, to happen. Sometimes that motivation, sorry, that opposition, we can confuse it. I think it's time to run and quit and stop. Now, there are times when God says stop, but I'll, let you, I'll, I'll tell you right now, when God has said stop, it's irresistible. It's irresistible. So I'd rather be found with my hands dirty, digging in the soil, when he comes up and goes, son, you're done. Pulls me by the shirt and goes, here, here's the next work for you. Boom, and drops me off. I don't want to sit just hanging out, you know. I wonder when the father will come and pick me up from the work that I'm completed. No. I don't want to be caught with my pinky out. I want to be caught with my hands in the dirt. Amen? Amen. That's the work that he calls us to. I have all kinds of accents. I don't use them as much as I should. Here's a quote. I don't even know who said it. I've got to capture a bunch of different quotes that, that God has really encouraged me with. And it says this, Never move to get away from something bad. Only move to get to something better. The difference will be knowing what to do when we arrive. Let me share a little bit more detail on this. If we decided to say, you know what, I'm done with that place, whether it's work or a church or or a neighborhood or whatever you go, and here's all the bad things and all the reasons that I don't want to be here anymore. And then we decide to go somewhere. And we we leave is what we do. It's it's a difference. We leave. We know I don't care where I go as long as it's not here problem with that is 
The danger with that is, is that our motivation is bitterness and hurt and frustration and anger. And then when we get to where we think we're going to be, guess what we took with us? Our little backpack of bitterness and hurt and anger and frustration. And then the first thing we unpack is, oh, look, it's my friend. And we start beating someone with our bitterness bat. And we start throwing the, uh, the balls and the grenades of anger and frustration. And we destroy the new place where we're at. Because God didn't work on our hearts. We left because there was opposition. We didn't go because God told us to. Because there was a destination. If we focus on saying, you know what? I'm going to go. And the destination is this. And this is what God's got for me there. This is how it's going to work differently. Maybe it's just better for a friendship. Maybe it's better for a marriage or, or for work or whatever it is. And we go in that direction. We don't have to demonize where we're at and hate where we're at in order to be motivated for where God takes us. That's a passive way to deal with change. That's a passive way to deal with emotions. Let it hurt. If you've got to go somewhere, let it hurt. Don't hate it. And if you're not supposed to go, don't let bitterness and anger and frustration motivate anything. We had someone a couple weeks back show up here, and they had been going to another church and said, you know, I think we're going to go here now. And I said, not until you let your other pastor know. Well, we're leaving. There's problems there. I, I get it. We're not perfect. But never leave a church. Never leave. Always go. Send a letter. Ask to have a coffee. Why are you saying all this? Because I'm a pastor, and I love every one of you. And when I don't see you, it crushes me. And I'd love to know. I'd love to know where you're at, where your life is, how you're doing. And I guarantee you that guy wants to also. And sometimes when we focus on leaving, it's easier to go, I don't want to deal with the hurt of saying goodbye, so I'm not going to like this. I'm going to hate this. I'm going to be frustrated with this. And I'm going to go here because it's better. Because, it, right, the grass is greener on the other side, right? We all know that. It's always greener. The problem is there's always other side. Oh, it's not as green here as I thought it was, but it's really green over there. Oh, it's, wait, it's not as green as I thought it was. It was really green over there, though. And we find out it's always brown. And if it is really green, it's probably been cow manure that's been sprayed, and so it stinks on the other side. Paul continues on and sharing with the motivations. Timothy was what I call myself. I, I believe God, God has kind of ordained me to be 80 grit sandpaper in, in, the, in the Christian world. I don't have a lot of things that are Christian-y, traditional churchianity about me. And, and uh, some of that's just because I'm a rebellious jerk. And the other parts of it are because I don't see it in Scripture. And it doesn't change people's lives. But one of the things that motivates me is when I read about Timothy and the Timothy, they had to, he had to say about Timothy, he's like, listen, Timothy's going to show up. Y'all need to calm down. He's a young guy, and he's doing the same thing I am. He's got, he's got a whole different way of approaching it, and you're going to get all offended because it's different because you already did it before when Apollos came and, and Peter's teachings came and Paul's teachers came. When Timothy comes, treat him normal. The guy shouldn't show up afraid, wondering if you're going to accept him. He's with me. We're teaching the same gospel. The temptation a lot of times, though, or should I say the reasoning behind God sending in people that we would consider on the outside is that this next point, that God will often send people from the outside because those on the inside forgot their mission. 
Those on the inside forgot their mission. I had someone several years ago get frustrated with me showing up as, oh, one of those, one of those people from the lower 48 coming up here and telling us what to do. And I lovingly looked at him and said, to be honest, if you were doing everything right, why did he have to send me up here to tell you something? And he looked at me and said, you know what? I hate that that's true, but I feel more motivated about the gospel now than I did before. And I'm glad you said what you said. Sometimes God has to bring people from the outside to go, hey, guys, wake up. Look from the outside. Look at what's happening here. We've learned to do these things with church or, or Christianity or, or good things or, or moral things or conservative things or whatever it is we want to tie to church or Christianity. And we forgot the Great Commission sometimes. So God brings in that Timothy and he's young and he's motivated and he doesn't know all the social rules. He comes in and goes, hey guys, why aren't you doing this? And they go, hey, get out of here, man. We don't need you to tell us what to do. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. We forget the mission. And we sit on the inside very comfortable. We've created our church systems. We've created our, our things that we like. You know, we do things at this time. And, and I remember talking with a pastor years ago before we moved up here, and he said, yep, I don't do any ministry during the summertime. And, and I jokingly, mostly serious, but jokingly said, yeah, because the Great Commission kind of goes on pause. And he goes, no, sir. Just people have other things that they do here. And I said, well, my comment doesn't change. The Great Commission doesn't pause because people want to go fishing. The Great Commission always is our charge. And it's a cultural difference, and I'm perfectly fine with that. But why aren't we working that Great Commission in any way possible to be relevant? There's some great churches that go down to the rivers and, and hand out things and bless people. There's great churches that have different home studies and hap that happen even more often in the summertime so that people can invite people over to enjoy the sunshine and the barbecues and all of that. Praise God for that. But man, because there's opposition, it doesn't mean quit. It means we need to change what we're thinking and still let the motivator of the Great Commission keep driving us. Just a little fired up about that. It's so important for us. That when it seems like something isn't working and there's opposition, don't, don't just sit there and go, well, it's just time to quit then. It's just time to quit. No, it's not. It's not time to quit. Paul continues in the last half of chapter 16, and he begins it with a common set of phrases he's used throughout the book. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. The challenge that I have is that how do we apply this in our life? How, how do I apply be on your guard? Does that mean I'm paranoid and, I, and I'm always looking for someone to make fun of Jesus and so as soon as they do it, I'm just going to chuck a Bible at them? What does that look like? What, what does this application look like? When Paul says be on your guard, does that mean you know carry, carry two concealed pistols? I mean, what is it? Stand firm in the faith. Does that mean getting on and arguing on CNN with people who don't like Christians? Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. The thing is, is that love word is not affection. It's not a word that means because I want to. I feel like it. It's because it's my motivator. 
And so I have to do it. Because of the work of Christ in me, I have to do these things. And an unconditional care for who you are because of Christ. That's a different motivation than I think we understand with love. It's a different motivation than the world sees with love. Here's four points related to these topics. Be on your guard is the first one. Here's what I want us to realize. Don't let the temptation to seek and get comfort to win. Don't let the temptation, the, the, the constant meeting of those desires that the world can offer, especially in the first world, there is no problem at all with finding comfort in this world. None at all. It's always available. Always. What we don't have enough time of is the conversations with others. Great Commission is, is, is the topic there. What we don't have enough time of is my own gifts and things that God has called for me to do, the things that God has designed for me to do, the motivations that he's put inside of me, the passions, the desires, the giftings, all the things that he's put inside of me. I don't have forever to do that in this world. I've only got today. But the temptation is, you know what, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to rest and I'll get on that tomorrow. Guess when we... Guess when we actually do what we said we're going to do tomorrow. Tomorrow. And guess what? When it's Monday, when do we do it? Tomorrow. Well, don't put a day on it. Then you're like all convicted. Just tomorrow. Well, they, they didn't answer the phone, so I'll just tell them about Jesus tomorrow. Well, they didn't see me when I waved like this at the grocery store, so I'll just tell them about Jesus tomorrow. Well, you know, I looked at them and winked at them and looked, I tried to look like a Christian and they didn't say they wanted to pray and accept Jesus, so I'll, I'll wait till tomorrow. I did a really nice thing and they didn't say, oh, I want Jesus in my life, so I'll just wait, I'll do something nice tomorrow. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and be nice. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. And yes, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. That's the proof that God is working in you, that the love for one another will show, and that'll be a motivator, but it is not the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ, and the thing that makes that truth so real is the work of the Spirit in our life. It's never the other way around. We don't preach morality and people trip over and find Jesus. We preach Jesus because our morality proves it. God calls us to stay alert. And so when we choose to get comfortable, we miss details. I share a quick story. I was exhausted one night, and I sat down in my chair. And I've got this kind of rickety old little recliner, and I sat in it. And you, I got like a piece of 550 woven through in it, and you got to pull on it and yank on it, kind of bounce to get it to recline. And I finally pulled it, and I laid down flat. And I laid down, and I just laid my head back. I'm like, oh, man, I'm so exhausted. I'm just going to get a quick nap. Fell asleep. And I wake up, and it's like dead quiet. And if you know my house, it's literally like a rave happening all the time. We've got six kids. We've got you know, cats and dogs and, and people yelling and screaming and having fun and everything. And I wake up, and it's dead silent. Like you can feel its silence. And the first thought is like, oh, this is awesome. Oh, no, everyone's dead. I, I missed something. I missed some, some, some. One of the kids flipped out, killed all the rest, and then jumped off the balcony or something. I don't know what's happening. So I'm, I'm looking around like, man, where's my phone? And I'm like, I'm like guys, anybody here? And the dog comes running around with half a shirt out of his mouth. And, all, and I'm wondering what's happening. And I finally get to my phone. And there's a text. Ran out with the kids. Have a good nap. Hope you enjoy the quiet. I had no idea what had happened. I texted my wife back. I'm like, you all could have been killed. I would never have known. 
Now, why was that? I was comfortable. I was resting in my own provisions. I was perfectly fine. November 30th, 8 o'clock, no, 6 o'clock in the morning, we woke up, we did everything the same. Most of us, except for me, made a terrible cup of coffee and went to work and tried to <laughs> choke it down. <laughs> I'm a bad person. And then we, we, we finish out that morning, we do our different drive and so on, and everything's going fine. And then all of a sudden, the earth is shaking. And, and, and all of a sudden, everything we were comfortable in is moving. And I was talking with someone, and they said to me, they're like, Joe, you don't understand. The whole earth was moving. There's nowhere safe to be. And I'm like, it's okay. I was here, all right? I, I do understand. <laughs> the parking lot, I could have surfed on the waves on the asphalt. I, I, I know. Okay, yeah, you, you're right. But, but everything was moving. I know. I know. Everything. There's times in our life where we, we get glimpses and we're reminded that the things we think are sure, the things that we think are, are a strong foundation really aren't, and we literally are left with not even ourselves. I ran out of the building after I hit the wall three times because the building was moving. I get out of the building and I'm like, it's still moving. You know, you jump in the air and everything else is moving. You're like, there's nowhere to go. You're not going to run away from an earthquake. You can run away from a cold breeze by going inside. You can run away from the rain by getting on an umbrella, whatever it is. But you're not getting away from the shaking of the earth. One thing that I want us to realize is that the search for comfort will always be met, but it will never be enough. There is no end to how comfortable. I told you I had a rickety old... Recliner, I tell you what, I'd love to have six, inch, six inches more of padding on that. And when I got six inches more, you know how much more I'd want after that? Six, maybe 20. Have it float, massage me, temperature control, cooler in the arm, everything. Yes, they make those. My brother-in-law has one. Everything. But guess what? I want more out of that chair. Now it's not enough. The batteries ran out. The plug doesn't work right. I need a better chair. There's no end to our search for comfort. Jesus gave the same command as Paul. It's actually interesting how close it is to Paul's statement. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, Could, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? C couldn't you just sit here and, and at least just like twiddle your thumbs and count backwards or something just to stay awake with me? Can you be alert that long? Just an hour. Keep watch and pray. Stay alert. Stand firm so that you will not give in to temptation. See, here's something we have to realize as Christians. We have an enemy that has a very big motivator. Our enemy has a massive motivator. It's us. And do you know why he stays motivated? Because he keeps winning. And we keep giving him the win from the church and outside the church. He just keeps winning and keeps winning and keeps winning. But he doesn't have to because he's a loser. He's already lost. We have that victory. 
And so when he says that, that we should not give in to the temptation, it's because our enemy never stops. There is a searching to devour. How many of you have had someone stop by your house to tell you about their version of the gospel, and man, they are still motivated. You could treat them terrible, and they show up for more. But not one of us has left our house and decided to go back to a house when someone said, get out of here, I don't want to hear about Jesus. That's embarrassing. And I raised my hand first. When, when, when the different cults and religions go, you know, well, we'll be back. I know we don't agree or whatever, but we'll be back. But if I share the gospel with someone at work, I'm like, okay, I'm here at Jesus' persecution. Let me tell you something that God hit on me because I was the worst. I, I'd share the gospel with someone, I'm like, well, fine. Get a, hot, get a flame retardant suit then, jerk. You know, and, I'm, and I'm, in my mind, I'm walking away frustrated. I had a guy. It's probably about 12 years ago. And I walked into his office, and I had Andy Stanley's book, If, if uh, Nobody's Perfect, How Good is Good Enough. And we had talked about Jesus some, and, and he definitely was not for the whole Jesus thing at all. And I sat down in his office, and I, ha- I handed the book. I said, man, I know we've talked a lot. We don't have a lot of time at work. Here's this book. Read it, and let me know what you think. I don't care if you disagree with all of it. I just want, I just want you to see the truths in here, and then we'll talk. He opens it up, and he goes, <laughs> So, nice try, this is religious. And I said, well, you would call it religious, but it's not religious to me. It's truths that I think we have to handle. He goes, it's religious, I don't want it. And please don't ever come in my office again and talk to me about Jesus. I don't want to hear it. And I stood up for a second and, and I said, okay. And I stood at the door of his office and I said, let me, let me just ask you a question. He goes, fine. I said, do you really mean to not talk to you about Jesus? Let me, I want you to say that Surely, he goes, yes. You can talk to me about anything else, just not Jesus. And I said, okay, you know what? I'll honor that. But I'm going to pray double for you now. And you're never going to stop me from doing that. And he goes, whatever. Three years later, I walked to his office. He's crying. I have no idea why. He looks up at me. He goes, my wife left me, but I found Jesus. And he gives me a big hug, soaks my shoulder. One of the number one contributors to us coming up here, I found out later, to start the church up here in Alaska. He's come to the church a few times when he visits the state. His wife got saved. His ex-ex-wife got saved. All of his kids got saved. He had friends around him following Jesus. From a man who decided to kick me out of his office and said, don't talk about Jesus. Had I had the cowardice that I had previously, I wouldn't have prayed. I would have been hurt because he made fun of me. (laughs) No. No. No, this man needed someone who had the guts to battle for his soul. And I think we have people all around us that need that, that may not hear the one that want to hear the truth right then, but it doesn't stop us from throwing the seeds out there and let them deal with it. It's very difficult. See, there's times in our life as we go through, and, and, and we may have been dealing with, with comfort and, and, and seeking after that. And, and then here's something else. There's a, a challenge here that says stand firm in the faith. Here's what I want us to realize. For those that have gone through big earthquakes before, it wasn't necessarily a surprise in the sense of what happened. It may have brought up old fears and stuff, but, but you knew, hey, we live along the ring of fire. Okay, The, the earth shakes. So you be prepared and so on. So here's what I want us to realize. The reason Paul says stand firm is not because everything's firm. It's the opposite reason. It's because we're guaranteed to be shaken. Life will stop being so hard when we stop expecting it to be so easy. We're guaranteed to be shaken 
but we don't have to fall. We don't have to fall. That's why he says right here, stand firm. It's a command from God. If God says to do something, it's not because he's got popcorn waiting for us to fail. It's because he gives us the power to do that and be successful at it. He's not going to make a call on our life without the ability to do it. That's his job. He knows it. He knows his job well. When we were praying this morning, one of the guys said, you know what, God? I'm going to stop trying to tell you what your job is. Just help me to hear what you have to say today. We're guaranteed to be shaken. Things are going to come against us. We don't have to fall. We can stand tall. And that's why Paul says here, stand firm in the faith. There's going to be shaking that comes. And just as we would be prepared for some sort of natural disaster, that's why our faith has to be prepared and ready. We don't know what today holds, let alone tomorrow. We don't know what what God is going to call us to do, so we need to be ready now for whatever he would say. A guy named David Hazel, who's the director, actually he's the owner of My Follow's World Curriculum, and I got a chance to spend some time with him for a couple days years ago. He said, Joe, do you believe God wants to do something with you? Do you believe God really does have a call for you and your family? And I said, I know he does. It's kind of like a duh question. We're like, no, we're useless. And he looks at me and he goes, well, if you really believe it, have you set up your life in such a way? Have you set up your life in such a way that when he says to do it, you can? Ha- have you set up your life in such a way that you've sought after these different things where your life is so burdened down like the rich young ruler that you can't actually say yes to Jesus without a command of put away all your idols? Or have you set up your life in such a way that when God says call, you're like, all right, guys, backpack's on, let's go. Just like the bug out bags, as soon as we see it on the news, man, when that virus hits and all the people start walking around like zombies, we're ready, aren't we? Right? And some of us are kind of, the hardest thing about the zombie apocalypse is going to be kind of hiding that we're really excited that it's finally here, right? I know you're laughing because you're like, don't give it away. But we're ready. We're prepared. Guaranteed to be shaken, but we don't have to fall. Here's the next one. Paul says here, be courageous. Some translations literally translate the phrase, it was a military phrase that would be yelled out, act like men. Now, it doesn't mean as much today in in, in certain contexts. So the translation is, have courage. Stand up when the opposition comes against you. And one of the things that I think we have to realize is, Call, we have to always call fear, and I'm talking the afraid kind of fear, a liar. Why would we ever entertain fear? I remember one time, months back, there were some things that got into my mind and just were repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating, and I stopped. I was sitting here in one of our Friday prayer mornings, and I, and I grabbed a piece of paper, and I, and I wrote out. I said, God, I cannot let my mind be a playground for fear. I will not agree and listen to these lies. It's important for us sometimes to just stop and just go, wait a second, it's a lie. It's not going to happen. It isn't happening. So I'm going to move to something that's true. And you go to Scripture and it says, well, what should I be motivated by? What should I be calling true? Whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is a a good report, whatever is praiseworthy. Let your mind dwell on those things. Let your mind spin out of control on the goodness of God, which is a new song we'll be doing in a few weeks. 
When he says here, be courageous, we need to start when fear comes at us and something says you can't do it or, 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 or you can't get that direction or whatever and go, you know what, you're right, but I don't trust in me. I trust in the Almighty, not the Joe Mighty. Because if you've seen how skinny my forearms are, trust me, it's not happening. Always call feel a liar. Fear a liar. God calls us to act or be filled with courage and boldness. And then number four, and the last thing for this morning, is he calls us in this section and he says, do everything in love. Do everything in love. Now, most of you will be irritated when I say this, but if, if phrases like all or every, or any, or everything, how much is everything? It's everything. Let's try it again. Only three people get that, that fact there. All right. So how much is everything? everything? Everything. If your parents told you when you were young, clean up everything in your room, what did you do? Some of it. But they meant everything. If you're a parent today, when you say everything, you better mean everything. And they better understand everything. Or they're going to get everything. Everything means everything. It's, it's not everything but. It's everything. It's the best kind of ice cream, too. So here's what Paul challenges us to. At the end of all these statements of be ready, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and strong, do everything in love. See, the beginning of that could be, okay, you know what, I got this. I'm putting on my armor. I'm, I'm putting on a megaphone so I can make sure I can yell at people if I'm feeling scared, all these strong and courageous and all these things that a lot of times, unfortunately, the church has thought that's how we get the gospel across. But then there's this last piece. Big motors put into the car. A nice gas pedal. Great doors, great paint job, courageous, stand firm, everything's ready. And then we get in it and we go, okay, we're ready. And we're revving the engine. And God goes, hold on. Let me get you the steering wheel. Agape. And so all the things of strength and courageous, all the things that God has called us to with not seeking after comfort and being on our guard are to be governed by love. And I'm not talking affection and hearts. I'm talking the God-sourced, unconditional care that says it doesn't matter how you smell, think, or look, I'm motivated by Jesus. It doesn't matter how you treat me or what you've said about me, I'm motivated by Jesus. That's the love. And the final point, it took forever to get there, I know, but the final point is this, that we need to change our motivation from self, our motivator probably is a better word, from self to unconditional care. If you were here a couple years back with our unconditional love or our agape series that we did, we realized that the definition for agape is unconditional give a care, is that I have a care for that person, not because they deserve it or I want to. It's because God said that they matter. And so, if our motivation goes from ourself and our objectives and our, our goals and our, our passions and things that we want only, there, it is impossible for agape to happen. 
because then I have conditions on my care. As long as it meets what I want, I'll care about you. That's not unconditional love. And it's amazing how just that phrase, just that verse can shift a crumbling marriage into something that actually is pretty convicting to deal with for the first week because we realize, wow, I am conditioned full with my wife. I am conditioned full with my friends and, and my kids and, and my job, and, and, and I won't share the gospel with this person because they're scary and all these conditionful things that we put in our life. But the challenge in Scripture is always do everything in unconditional care. So you know what that means when we leave the parking lot and we can't pull out like we want to? Conditionless love says, oh, well, they needed to be there before me. Conditionful love says, you know what? They can slow down for me. The slightest little thing in our life changes when we're motivated by God's care. Here's what I want to close out with. and This kind of finishes the book of Corinthians. We'll do a quick you know, high-speed road through it next week. But here's what I want to do. You can, you can close your Bibles, and we're going to close in prayer this morning. You know what's funny? It's such a short chapter, and I had so few points. You guys probably have less points in your paper than you ever have. But for some reason, it's 12.14, and I was supposed to end like 10 minutes ago. But the service isn't officially over to 12.15, for those that have always wondered. So now I'm officially on time. It's 12.15. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going I'm to I'm close in prayer. Like, I didn't even notice it. Or, huh, what's happening? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close in prayer with us this morning. And while every head is bowed and, and our eyes are closed, here's the challenge I want to give to us all. I want to challenge every one of you, including me. God has found some kind of motivator that's wrong for you and for me. And if you want to just pray, and, and I'm not saying shout out what you're motivated by. I don't, I, I don't want to do that. What I want to do is to have the heart admit, say, you know what? God exposed the wrong motivator for me, and I want the right one. And you can just raise your hand this morning. Every head's bowed and, and eyes are closed. Just raise your hand. Amen. 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 Anyone else as, as we close in prayer? I'm up here raising my hand. There's stuff that God worked on me. Amen. 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 Yes, amen. Amen. So if you raised your hand this morning, or maybe you just, maybe one of the motivators is rebellion. I don't know. But if you chose not to raise your hand for whatever reason, here's the prayer that I want to pray along with you, and I'm praying it from my heart too. God, I'm sorry for the wrong motivator. I want to be motivated by you. I want you to drive my passion. I want the work of Jesus to be the first thing that gets me going. Please change my motivator from me to you. Please change my motivator from self to unconditional love. 
and help me to be used by you for what you want, when you want. And the hardest part, how you want. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let me close this all in prayer together and just pray over us all. God, I, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the chance that we can be together, Lord, the, the amazing experience of the holy ones that Scripture calls saints, the holy ones gathered together in Jesus' name. Thank you for that blessing, God. It's not normal, but it is such a massive blessing, God, and we thank you for that. So I pray, God, that this day as we go about it, starting now, that we would really be motivated by you and that we would not say we're unmotivated, but we have the wrong motivator, God that we would seek out what you want us to do, God. That there are things that you have offered to us, the things that you have asked us, and it's just sitting there, and it's whispering, or we've had opposition from the enemy, whatever it is, God, I pray that we would change and know that we have you on our side, that you've called us, and that you have a plan and a purpose. You have gifts. And Lord, I pray as we go about this week that you would have Tremendous fruit and power come from us obeying you and our motivator being agape. In Jesus' name, everyone together? Amen. Amen.